bring around some extras. So if you didn't get one, raise your hand and she can pass them out. But I just drew this out. Maybe you guys had this mentally in your head, but I needed a little help seeing who had what baby and where they came from and who their mama was. And um, this just helped, this flow chart just helped me. And I think it'll help us a little bit more too as we move forward and Joseph and when we see what's going to happen in the next couple of things to come. So that is that. Okay, let's open up your Bibles, please. And let's start, we're going to start at um, the messy chapter of 34, Genesis 34. Um, Dear Lord, please speak through me. Please let your faithfulness reign. And that your character just be loud um, through these passages that we read. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, kind of what um, I'm going to start with is I'm going to flip-flop um, just a little bit. Because what hit me more than anything was, as we we're about to read 34, I mean, it's so messy. It's hard to read. It is troubling. It is concerning. It is heavy. It is full of horrors that we don't even like to know about or read about, more or less in God's holy word, right? It's hard reading. So what I really wanted to stop before we even read this and see and say and reflect on is what kind of hit me after doing 34, 35, and 36 was like what's been hitting me every time we've been studying Genesis, and that's how faithful God is how faithful he is, and what does it look like, um, how faithful he is. Because we're going to read about Dina's rape and Jacob's passivity and the brother's revenge, and then Rachel's going to die, and then Isaac's going to die, and then Jacob's going to have 12 tribes, like on this, and Esau's going to have his line. And we're going to see Jacob fail. We're going to see lots and lots and lots and lots of failure, right? Jacob's going to fail. He's not going to go all the way to Bethel. He doesn't protect Dina because of his favoritism towards his other wife's children. He doesn't stand up for her. We're going to see Simeon and Levi fail in how they handle Dina. They don't want punishment. They want revenge. And then we're going to see all the brothers in Jacob use God's covenant sign as a deceptive tool. And then we're going to see Reuben, he just decides, you know, to sleep with Jacob's concubine. And through all of this mess and all of this horror and all these terrible decisions, what I want you to take away from that is not to be left with that, but to be left with God's faithfulness. And I want to read this first. And we're going to, as we go through Scripture, and we're going through this, I want you to think through this verse in Philippians 1.6. And I am confident in this. Not kind of sure, kind of think it's going to happen. Not maybe, not probably. I am confident in this. He who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.6. And we're going to see a picture of the Christian life through Jacob. We will see God love Jacob with a steadfast and unwavering, never giving up, never stopping for one minute kind of love. And just like he loves you and me. We see that Jacob wrestles with God. And he's left knowing God's power and love, and he's left wounded, right? Then he promises to God that he'll go to Bethel, but he stops short. And I kind of thought of this as like the kid that goes to college, that leaves the house of believers and knows what's right and what's wrong and knows the Lord. And he thinks, mm, i got to put this kind of Christian life on hold for a little while. 
And before I get to Bethel, before I get back to where I'm going to live in my big, my big boy job, my big girl job, and I don't really need to go to church, and I don't really need to obey right now because I'm in college, I kind of thought this is kind of like what Jacob was doing when he stopped short, right? Um, I want to keep my God. I want to keep God because I believe it's true, but I kind of want to keep my idols for myself just a little while longer. Then we're going to see Jacob fail as a father to love Leah's children well, and he doesn't protect Dina. She gets into a disastrous situation, a disastrous situation, his only daughter. And we're going to see him go silent. Then we see his other sons commit revenge murders. What a mess. But then, but then what? But God, but God speaks to Jacob and tells him to go to Bethel. Jacob's eyes are opened. He sees his sin is sin. He takes the idols to the terebinth tree and he buries them. God protects him on his way to Bethel, on his journey to Bethel. God, 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 do you hear it? God is faithful. Jacob fails as a leader. He fails as his father to Dina. He fails as his father to his sons. He fails to obey. But God, but God, he is faithful. He keeps his covenant with Jacob because, you see, the covenant isn't bilateral. It's unilateral, just like God makes his covenant with us. The covenant doesn't depend on us, and that's such good news because we're going to fail and fail and fail. And now you can now we can understand that Jacob's going to see grace at a deeper level and God will again remind us and just remind Jacob and just like us who we are in Christ again. And again he will speak a blessing over Jacob and he will repeat this process again and again. And it's just such a picture of the Christian life, isn't it? We sin, we find restoration, we remember the name that's been given to us, we again receive the blessing. We know we must grieve our sin. We must hate our sin and turn back from it. And our Christian life will be a process of turning back to the Father when we see our sin, receiving the grace that's been promised us, promised to us, and then living again in the promises of who we are in Christ. Leslie's going to fail as a leader. I'm going to fail as a wife. I've already failed as a mother. I'm going to fail to obey again and again and again. But God, he's going to continue to refine me. It's a process. The Christian life is a process. First, he loves me. I see my sin. I turn back to him in forgiveness. I bury that sin, and I ask God to keep it buried. God reminds me. He names me again of who I am in Christ. He calls me again. He calls me his beloved. And the process continues. He loves us perfectly. He provided a way for us to come to him through the blood of Jesus. So, let's go to lunch. Just kidding. So, I had to start with the application today because it was so heavy on me after how hard this was to read that the application has to jump out because this is so hard to read that we have to see what God wants us to see in it, and that's that He is faithful. His covenant is unilateral. His promises are true to us. And amen, amen and amen and amen. I mean, we know that to be true. So now, before lunch, we'll look at 34, 35, a little bit deeper dive. So turn with me in 34. Now, Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of the Hamar, the Hevite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and violated her. Oh, so let's stop there. Okay. So Dina, the daughter, the only daughter of Jacob, 
went out to go see, and she wasn't going, what was she going to see? I thought this was so curious. Just like us girls, we kind of want to go see what the other ladies are doing, what they look like, and what's going on, right? She went out to see the daughters of the land. And what we know is that where they were living and where Jacob had bought land, the city was in sight. The city was right there. So they were on the edge, and the city was in sight, okay? So she left to go. And we can probably speculate, because she's Leah's daughter, she wasn't very protected. Jacob wasn't really paying much attention to her. He didn't care as much as he cared about Rachel's children. It's sad. It's sad. But we have to think that's probably why she wasn't, she wasn't you know, being cared for. I mean, her virginity as the only son of Jacob should have been of grave importance to him, right? And yet, this 14, 15-year-old girl has either snuck out or t- told no one or no one was paying attention, and she just left out. We don't know, but. And then Shechem. And that gets confusing because we're like, okay, wait, is this the name of the city or is this the name of this, this guy? It was confusing to me. But then you realize we got that whole favoritism thing in bold colors because this guy, the, the Hammerite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the, the king of it was like, I mean, I love this one son of mine so much that I will name the city after him. So he's in the city of Shechem and he loves his son so much that he names his son Shechem. And we'll see how that plays out because what does a prince that who has everything that he's ever wanted and a daddy who gives him everything he wants do? How do they act? When your daddy has power and money and you, have, you get what you want, right? So what does he do? He sees what he wants in that girl and he takes her with no regard. He just takes her and he rapes her. It says in verse 3, His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. What? I don't understand this. Is he a total sicko? Maybe. I don't know. I don't think we can understand that he raped her one day and now he's talking lovingly to her. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I really couldn't make sense. I could give you some things, I think, but I'm not even going to try because it just doesn't make sense. We're going to keep going. So, Shechem spoke to his father saying, I want an everlasting gobstopper and I want it right now. (laughs) That's what my husband says to my children um, when they are whining about what they want. But that's basically what this kid does. He says, Daddy, could you get me this young woman and not only get her because I've really already have her, I would like you for, please, I'd like her to be my wife. What? That's what he says. And Jacob heard, in verse 5, and Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Jacob sought the Lord. No, that's not what it says. He held his peace until they came? Is that what you would want your daddy to do if you had been raped? No, Jacob, why are you being passive again, again? Then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with them. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field, and when they heard it, the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to have been done. But Hamar spoke to them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give him to her as a wife. So here's this king coming in with power and money to a meeting with Jacob, right? He's coming in with power and money. He's going to get what he wants for his son. And make marriages with us. Give us your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. 
this is going to be a good plan, right? You marry us, we'll marry you, we share our livestock. This is going to work out well. Um, and then we have old, old um, brat, old bratty Shechem. He says, he, he sweetens the deal, right? Just like anybody does that wants his way, that's used to getting his way. He's, he's smooth with his words. He says, basically, I, I mean, I'm just going to sweeten the deal. I'm going to make it even a bigger deal. So in verse 11, then Shechem said to his father and her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. I mean, I raped her, but let me find favor in your eyes. And for whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much how much dowry gift, and I will give according to you what you say to me. But give me the young woman as, as a wife. I'll pay whatever. I'll spend as much as I need to to get what I want. It's horrifying. Hmm. I have to think at this point, what is not recorded is the secret meeting between the brothers, where they are plotting and planning, don't you think? Because in verse 13 it says, But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor the father, and spoke deceitfully, Oh, just like Jacob has been sowing deceit all these years, right? Back and back and back. He's shown patterns of deceitfulness, and now his sons, too, are showing patterns of deceitfulness. And he spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dina, their sister. And they said to him, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to the one who is uncircumcised, but that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition will we give it to you, because we have got a great plan. It's not going to work for you. And if you will come as you are, every male will be, every male of you is circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and you will become one people. But if you will not heed to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. So we're going to take our ball and play somewhere else if you do not do this one little thing, and that's to be circumcised, because they had a plan. Oh, but the fools, they must have had their own meeting. The, um, the Hivites must have their own meeting, because then they said, And these words pleased Hamor and Shechem and Hamor's son. So the, lady, the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamor and Shechem and his son came to the gate of their city, and they spoke with the men in their city, saying, Listen, I've fallen in love with this girl. She's beautiful. I want to marry her. So I need you to go get this really rough, non-sterile knife, and you too need to be circumcised. So therefore, I can marry this young woman that I just must, I can't live without. What do you think? If you were 14, 15, 16, 17, you had maybe not even seen Dina. And this guy comes and says, I mean, we just got to do this one little thing, and then y'all can marry them, and we can marry them, and we can all share our livestock. Yo, it's crazy. But it makes sense when they say, because then they know what really can happen too. In 21, these men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For indeed, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and we will give them as our daughters. On this condition, the men will consent to dwell with us to be one people. Every male is circumcised. Well, sorry, if every male among us is circumcised, as they are as they are circumcised. Hmm. This is the why part. If y'all missed this, will not their livestock and their property and every animal of theirs be ours? Let I, let us only consent to them, and they will dwell with us. So what they're saying is, we're going to trick them. I mean, sure, it's going to be painful. Mm, that non, that dull knife. It's going to be painful, but just for a little while, because then we're going to get all of their wealth. We'll get all of their wealth. And those women, they probably were prettier. 
Probably. They were probably tired of their women. They wanted to go see these other women, right? So it was, it was a double deceit. These people were ready to deceit, to deceive them, just like Jacob's sons were ready to deceive the Hivites. And all went out of the gate, and in his city he did Hamor and Shechem his son. Every male was circumcised, and all who went out of the gate in the city. Now it came to pass on the third day, because the third day after surgery, if everybody knows, is the most painful, when they were in, play, in, in pain, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males, killed all the males. And they killed Hamor and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dina from Shechem's house and went out. They took Dina and went out. So this really means during this whole time of negotiating, where had Dina been? Jacob, where are you? She had been staying with him the whole time. She had been in their possession the whole time. All this negotiating was going on. All the circumcisions were going on. She was still with them. That's just horrible to me. Um, The sons of Jacob came upon the slain, and they plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took the sheep, their ox, and their donkeys, and what was in the city and what was in the field, and all of the wealth, and all the little ones. And I love that it called them little ones. And all the little ones and their wives they took captive, and they were plundered, even all that was in the houses. And we see that Jacob and Simeon, so if you want to look back on your chart, okay, we're getting to Reuben's disaster in a minute, but Simeon and Levi were sons two and three, right? And just a sidebar of faithfulness that we can't not talk about is that Simeon and Levi were the ones that plotted and planned and went and actually performed the murders, right? They actually shed a lot of blood on this day. But who will be the one later that we know will be in the tents to shed blood of sacrifices? And that's Levi the priest. How cool is that? That just goes back to our verse, Philippians 1.19, doesn't it? And I'm confident in this. Even Levi, when I began a good work in him, I will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He will be the one. He will be the priest of these people and his lineage, the Levites. I love that. Um, here's a real good Jacob section, if y'all want to listen to this, the me's and the eyes. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, just like every dad, or, dad does, right? He, he obviously had not coached his children on how to handle when things go badly. He had not obviously trained his children up in the way of to say, we're not going to murder a whole city, right? We know that Jacob, there's, there's some lacking fatherhood amongst these sons too. And then this is what he says to them. After he murdered, they murder a whole group of males. Jacob says to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me. By making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, then they will gather themselves against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. After all of that, who is Jacob worried about? Himself. The only thing he's worried about is himself and how it's going to look to all these other countries, and now they're going to want to plot and plan to kill him, and they've really made a stink. He didn't turn to the Lord at this point. He didn't turn to the Lord. But then they said, the brother said, should he treat our sister like a harlot? Their motives were right. The way they acted was terribly wrong. 
So I know y'all answered this question, and um, I thought it was a really good question. How many times was God mentioned in chapter 34? Zero. Zero times. And we can see, because it's hard to read. It is hard. It is full of hard, hard stuff, especially as a woman. I mean, all of Genesis, to me, is hard to read as a woman. I mean, I'm not ready for the women's movement, like the pole dancing, the Super Bowl show. I'm not there, but I am not. This is hard reading to hear how women were treated as property. It's hard um, with such disregard. I know that's not how God intended it. Um, But I love, and I'm so encouraged by the first um, word of chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household, let's listen to what he said. It's not about me and I, right? At this point, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves and change your garments. Jacob gets it. God meets him again. God comes to him and says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethel. When he has this encounter with the one true God, he is changed. Just like when we have an encounter with the one true God, we are left changed. He's changed. And at this point, now, how long has it been since those idols had been under Rachel's rags when she was sitting on the horse? Probably a long time, right? We don't, at that point, we don't know if Jacob knew about the idols under there or not. I kind of think not because he didn't want her murdered. But then, I mean, you know women can't keep a secret. Don't you know that after Laban left, she was like, I've got to tell you what I pulled, pulled off on him. I stole, and then I told this lie, and I totally got away with it. I have to think Jacob has known about those foreign idols for a while, right? But now, after his encounter with the Lord, he's changed. He's aware of his idols. He is aware. His heart is made aware. He sees his sin. He sees what sin is. He sees that the one true God is a jealous God, and what does he do? He says, we have to go bury him. He said, let us arise and go put go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in all of these days. Basically, he's saying, I kind of thought God was just at Bethel that time. I stopped by that last time and I had that wrestling thing and all that. I kind of thought he was just then the God. But wait a minute. This God has been with me the entire time. He's starting to be part of the process, right? He's starting to recognize that God has never left him. He has been with him the entire time. He's seeing that now. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods and their earrings, and their earrings, which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree, which was by Shechem. So we know because we learned this last time, right? The terebinth tree was where people went to go worship foreign gods. And now what's Jacob doing with the foreign gods? He's going to bury them there. He's going to bury them. So it's like a funeral for the foreign gods. It's a funeral for the idols. Because at this point, he has changed in his process. He has gone to the Lord. The Lord has met him. He's seen his sin. He has been changed. Um, Oh, I love this. Didn't this make y'all think about the Joshua stuff? And And then they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So God gives them a clear path. He is faithful to Jacob. Why? Because Jacob has been so honorable and the best father? No. It's because he who began a good work will complete it. His kingdom will move forward. He can use who he will use. God is a God of faithfulness, and he keeps his promises. And he calls terror amongst the people so that Jacob could then get to where he was going freely, right? Freely, without an attack. 
And when he got there, he built an altar, and he called it El Bethel, because there God appeared to him, and when he fled the face of his brother. And then we find out a few more things. We find out that there's, this whole chapter has so much death in it, right? We have all the men dying in the city of Shechem. You know Dana's heart is just flat out dead. We have Rebecca's nurse that says it died here. Um, then we move down, we see the death of Rachel. We see that Rachel dies, and she dies doing what? Giving childbirth. And what had been the idol of her whole life was to have children, and she died in birth. She named the child Ben-Ani, um, but the father named him Benjamin. He changed his name to Benjamin. So Rachel has died, and she's buried. And where is she buried? In Bethlehem. Why? Because it's just a Jesus whisper. It's just a whisper, a God whisper of the future, a God whisper of what's to come. And it's so sweet that amongst all this death, we have a fragrance of life of Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Um, And then we have that Isaac dies too. And um, Jacob came to his father Isaac, and it's 27, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. And the days of Isaac were 180 years. And then Isaac breathed his last breath and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his son Esau and Jacob Jacob buried him. So it's a lot of death, right? We have a lot of things that were buried in this chapter. And we have Jacob's process of becoming more like God, of seeing more and more and more of who God is. And then in verse 36, chapter 36, I'm sorry, um, just somebody want to read this chapter? I'm just kidding. Okay, so I'm not going to read it either. But if we went through, when we did read all this, we find out there's a lot of Esau's descendants. There's a whole lot of them. And I counted them. Just kidding. Jen told me um, that there are 81 descendants of Esau mentioned in here. 81. How many of there were Jacob's? 12. 81, 12. 81 to 12, 81 to 12, 81 to 12. And it's going to look like Esau is prospering, and he is, right? Because why? God promised Esau he would make him a great nation, and what does he do about his promises? He keeps them. And so he kept the promise to Esau. It looks like Esau forgets God, but does God forget Esau? No, he doesn't. So again and again, we just see so many things where God is just so faithful. So I really, even though this was really, really, really hard to read, and there was a lot of really hard things in it, what I, what struck me more than anything was that the God of Jacob is also my God. The God of Jacob that reminded him of who he was, that renamed him. I can't believe I forgot that verse. That's my favorite one. Where is it? Where he renames him. Okay, here I am. Um, this, I'm going to read this, and we'll close with this, because this is what God does to us. He, he loves us. We sin. We go to him. He renames us. He tells us who we are in him. He gives us grace, and we go forward. It's a process. We move more towards him. We sin again. He tells us. We, we're see, we see our sin. He reminds us of who we are. It's a process, and the process will continue. The Christian life like this will continue until glory. But this is so encouraging because this is our God. And this is what he said to passive bad father Jacob. 
In verse 9, Then a God appeared to Jacob again. So he's appearing to him again because he loves him so much when he came to Padaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke to him Bethel. God loved Jacob. He gave him a new name. He kept his promises, and he does that with you and I as well. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are just blown away by your faithfulness because the covenant that we understand seems like it would be bilateral and that we should just really try harder and do more and keep our part, but that's not how it is, Lord. Um, Your love is just so perfect and it's so amazing, and your covenant with us is unilateral. You sent Jesus, Lord, so that we could die but have him as our righteousness and come to you. Lord, you made a way for us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.